Hello and welcome to the Institute for Women's Leadership's inaugural episode of Amplify, a social justice-themed podcast created to amplify the underheard voices and undertold stories on the College of St. Benedict and St. John's University campuses. My name is Alexi Horner, and I am the social justice coordinator for the IWL and current St. Ben Senior. Throughout this series, I'll be bringing in other IWL members, campus leaders, and underserved voices to discuss uncomfortable but important topics relevant to our campus. We hope you'll join us in listening in both now and in the future, but most importantly, we hope you'll take something from these episodes and reflect that out into the world. So let your light shine and let your voices amplify. As the first podcast made by the Institute for Women's Leadership, I thought it'd be fitting to do our first episode on one of the biggest issues facing community building amongst women today, internalized misogyny. We've all come into contact with it at some point, unfortunately, whether as witnesses or perpetrators ourselves. It can be subconscious or intentional, personal or external, hostile or benevolent. The technical term may not be familiar, but the concept is, so I'll frame a couple examples. You're at the bar, and you overhear a group of girls commenting derogatorily about another girl's outfit, describing it as slutty or trying too hard. A super relevant example, especially on social media platforms, is the pick-me-girl. Someone that looks down upon stereotypical femininity and girly interests like makeup and shopping, and instead aligns herself with more masculine ideals. These are some of the subtle but common ways that misogyny manifests in our lives, and most of the time, we don't even realize that it is misogyny. Yes, women can be misogynistic towards themselves and other women. Now that we know what it can look like, what is internalized misogyny? There are a lot of different definitions of internalized misogyny out there, but the one we're going to be working with was sourced from Behrman et al., which defines it as when women apply sexist messages heard throughout their lives to themselves and other women. Unfortunately, while there is a lot of research on male-to-female misogyny, there hasn't been much done on the misogyny that women face from each other or themselves. There are a number of speculations for why women feel this way, the most prominent ones being that women are made to feel ashamed of expressing femininity and that they subconsciously desire male approval. I'm not sure if I buy the whole male approval part. This is just my opinion, but it's pretty uncomfortable to think that any internalized misogyny I have is secretly because I just want men to like me. I actually think the first part provides more constructive conversation, because it poses the question of why are we ashamed of femininity? Before I go any further, I want to establish a baseline understanding. There is nothing inherently feminine about being a woman or masculine about being a man. Femininity and masculinity are expressions or choices we make to portray ourselves. Femininity and masculinity are often ascribed to arbitrary things like, for example, how we say that cars are for little boys and dolls are for little girls. There's nothing inherently gendered about either of those things. Spoiler alert, there's nothing inherently gendered about anything. We as a society have designated gender to things ourselves. So when we talk about internalized misogyny, It'll be helpful to remember that the issue doesn't lie in how an object or an activity is gendered, but rather in how we, as a society, construe those things because of the gender we've given them. Alright, back to the topic. Why are we ashamed of femininity? Why do we put it down when we see it in others and ourselves? And how does this affect our campus? I had the opportunity to discuss this issue with Julia Geller, 
returning student director of the Institute for Women's Leadership and fellow St. Ben senior. As the members of the IWL, gender is at the forefront of our work on campus, and this is a topic that we've been eager to discuss. Let's jump in. Are you familiar with the phrase internalized misogyny? Yes. Can you give me a, like a rough working definition of how you see internalized misogyny? Yeah, I think that for me personally, I guess my definition of internalized or like how I see internalized misogyny is kind of about how I internalize like the male gaze. But actually, I was thinking about this today in one of my classes and we were talking about like vanity being a sin. And I was thinking a lot about how it's kind of comes down to women not being able to feel prideful about themselves and instead orienting themselves around the male gaze. That makes sense. No, that really does. And I think if I were just to add like one more part to it, it's um, women not really being able to feel prideful in femininity, women only really being able to feel prideful in masculinity. Absolutely. It's like, you know, everyone's like, well, I danced, but only when I was like five. And I was like in ballerina. And then I played soccer, you know? This like shame in feeling girly and feeling feminine and feeling pretty in getting in like enjoying getting your nails done and wearing high heels and liking the color pink because that's for some reason not as of quality or as of substance as it is to be into sports and and I'm sure we'll get into that and talk a lot about like pick me culture and I'm not like other girls and I know I'm sure we can talk about that but I think that's a huge part of it is like shame and femininity because it's seen as lesser than to masculinity it definitely is I kind of see this as um two sides I guess the more I think about it and the more I develop thoughts on this topic it's like shame and femininity but also the glorification of masculinity Mm -hmm. you know there's theories out there about women feeling a shame and femininity but also appealing to masculinity to appeal to the male gaze and honestly this probably maybe it's just me but that really didn't that didn't really sit right with me I don't really include that in my working definition because Mm -hmm. it's just kind of weird to think oh I'm like to subconsciously everything I do is angled back towards pleasing a man towards Mm -hmm. the male gaze so I try really not to work with that Mm -hmm. but like you know the main two about glorifying masculinity Mm -hmm. but not necessarily appealing to like the approval of men one thing I want to touch about with you for sure Mm -hmm. is you know your experience with um internalized misogyny Mm -hmm. and whether that's something that like whether you've propagated it or you've experienced it and Mm -hmm. I mean do you have any experiences or thoughts you'd like to add yeah definitely I think um in my personal life my the prime example I go back to in terms of like I guess propagating it or like kind of definitely almost being a victim of it or uh I don't know if that's the word used but you know um I, I don't know partaking in that kind of internalized misogyny is I do not wear makeup and it's not because I, like, I'm just, like, ugh, I'm so low maintenance. I just never wear makeup. I'm just, like, so easy. Like, I'm so naturally gorgeous and I'm, like, really low-key. No, I have, like, an intense, like, fear. That's my brother. An intense fear <laughs> of, like, things around my eyeballs. I hate having things around my eyes, which is really funny because I was a dancer my whole life, a performing dancer, and so I always had to do, like, the full-faced makeup. Maybe that traumatized me. Maybe that has encouraged me to never have to do makeup again. But I really hate, like having like the mascara wand near my eyeballs or like doing eyeliner. I really don't like it. So I don't wear makeup. And sometimes I'll say that, I'll throw that out. I'll be like, I don't really wear makeup. I don't really, like, I don't really wake up in the morning. I can wake up and roll out of bed because I don't do makeup. And it was almost like, I feel like especially in high school, it was like a flex. Like I was Mm -hmm. like, yeah, like I'm not wearing any makeup today. Like I'm not even into that. As if that was something to be proud of. And if there were girls around me who were wearing makeup, then they were like not as low key, low maintenance, really like super natural and cool as me. 
And I feel like now I realize, like, no, I just have a preference. And other girls have a preference to wear makeup. Other people have a preference to wear makeup. And I think it also goes back to, like, what is the definition of beauty? There's, like, this stereotype of what a beautiful person, a beautiful woman should look like. And she should have these, like, voluminous lashes and these pink rosy cheeks. And it's, like, shiny highlighted cheekbones and some pink tinted lips. And that's not, you don't get that without putting makeup on. So yeah, anyways, this idea of like, well, you need to look this way, but if you do certain things to achieve that look, like wear makeup, then you're too girly, you're too high maintenance. I think high maintenance is a huge one. Girls want to be low maintenance to appeal to men. You want to seem like you care less, you want to seem like you do less, try less, all these things to appeal to to men. Mm -hmm. And I think that's, makeup is a prime example of that, where it's like, they want you to look like this, but they don't want you to do all the work to do it. And when they think that you do that, you're fake. You, oh, you know, take her swimming on the first date. Get that makeup off her face and see how she really looks. Mm -hmm. Because, and that to me, like, I definitely think that a lot of women or like makeup wearing individuals have been kind of like caught up in that because it's like you feel a little bit of pride or a little bit of like higher, holier than thou because maybe you're not playing into the makeup thing. When in reality, you're actually just playing into a really big part of as this like patriarchal society where men get to decide what's attractive and I think that's definitely where I've fallen kind of into that trap of that so that's a really good example that actually leads us right into talking you know about pick me girls and you know the concept of pick me girls for uh the unfamiliar is basically just girls that have kind of fallen prey to the mentality of uh you know forsaking any sort of inconvenient femininity to appeal to guys, to appeal to their masculinity, to try and be like the perfect woman. Because, you know, you think of you think of men and women and there's gripes about both genders. And um, so a pygmy girl basically gets rid of all of the bad gripes and only claims the good parts. And then she fills the rest of her personality with all of the good parts about masculinity. So, you know, she's a girl. She's still so small and tiny, <laughs> but she loves football. You know what I mean? She doesn't love watching Fashion Week. She likes watching the game on Sundays. Mm -hmm. She likes drinking a beer. But I'm so petite. And it's just like, that's a really um, characterized example, mm -hmm. but it's a perfect example of how they take the good parts of being a woman, of being feminine, mm -hmm. while getting rid of the bad parts and also embracing the parts that bring them closer to masculinity. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I think something too, honestly, that I've noticed with that, that I kind of want to like take a little step further is actually the weaponizing of the pick me girl. And it's actually other women who are weaponizing that name and that label. And so I have some friends who are definitely big sports girls. I have a friend Anywhere we go, she's got a game on her phone. She is a huge sports fan. She loves football. She loves basketball. Like, that's how she was raised in her house. Like, she's got siblings who play these sports. She's an athlete here at school. And I tease her. I'm like, ugh, sports girl. Like, you're so into sports. Like, you're just like a sports girl. <laughs> and I tease her about that, right? But honestly, what I think it comes down to is really the weaponizing of this pick-me label. And it's other women who see a woman who maybe has a genuine interest in something that is categorized as manly. Like, why are men only allowed to like, like, why is it only men who are allowed to have a genuine interest in football? Why can't I have a genuine interest in football as well? And so, and then if I do have an interest in football, then I'm just doing it for some men like me. And I think that it's honestly women who have taken that label and started to use it against women who, for some reason, don't sit right with them. And so it's like when a woman, you know, is more into sports like you're using, or maybe when a woman has a certain political affiliation that she likes to talk about, and it's like, well, did he pick you? 
Did he pick you yet? <laughs> oh, you voted for that guy? Did, did, did the guy you like pick you? You know? And it's like, maybe that's how she genuinely feels. And maybe that's what she genuinely believes in. And I think, like, uh, that comes down to, like, again, certain things that are viewed as okay for men that aren't viewed as okay for women. Like, you can't like sports and you can't drink beer and you can't vote for this guy and you can't dress this way and blah, blah, blah without being a pick-me girl and you're just trying to get the attention of men. Like, that's not always true. And that's, I think, comes down to, again internalized misogyny where these women over here who feel like it's okay to label pick me girls are thinking well she doesn't really fall into the alignment of what a woman should be or how a woman should act or what a woman should like so therefore she can't really be she's not really part of us she's not really one of us she needs to be kind of othered or like vilified because of these interests that she where she's kind of breaking a little bit of those like that binary of what falls into a man's category and a woman's category so I think with this whole this whole trending of pick me, I really think it's unfortunate because it's really evolved to pit women against each other, which is like the whole point of the patriarchy, right? Because we, we stand stronger when we're standing together. Mm-hmm. So that's Very my good. take on that. Honest to God, I was not even going to bring that up, but the way you put that like really connects it back to what I was saying about how I hate the whole, you know, if a woman feels or does something, it always ties back to men. Mm -hmm. So like women targeting the so-called pick-me girls that Mm -hmm. just like sports or whatever saying, oh, you're just doing it for men. A woman can't have an opinion Mm -hmm. without doing it for a man. A woman, like we can't like things Mm -hmm. without doing it for men. That's so gross. That's so old. Oh my God. (laughs) Oh my God, for real. (laughs) Yeah. And I think that's like, goes back to like, in that situation, and I think I'm part of that sometimes too. I definitely think, you know, oh, someone's acting a certain way and I'm like, oh my God, like she's making a fool of herself for these boys. And then I'm like, wait, no, maybe she's not. I have to check myself, hold myself accountable, realize that that's not true, that, you know, maybe she loves Sunday football or maybe she really, really enjoys wearing a full face of makeup. And it's not because, you know, a certain, she'll get a certain man's attention. It's because that's what makes her happy. And that... That also involves like just resetting your my own mindset too and checking myself. I recognizing that my own like internalized biases too. So on the other side of the spectrum, which I'm really gra- glad you brought this side up, by the way. Um, on the other side of the spectrum, like you have genuine quote pick me girls, like the ones that kind of hold that superiority. Mm-hmm. What are your thoughts on that? I think the difference in like being labeled. A- pick me girl by other girls versus I guess having the attributes of what I guess you could call a pick me girl is when you start to shit on things that are I don't know if I'm allowed to swear on this but when you start to like honestly when you start to put down things that are considered typically feminine so when you if you start to like for example the makeup thing when Mm -hmm. you're like yeah like ugh, I like I don't get why girls wear makeup like that's so you know what I mean as soon as you start to attack women like other women for doing things that are stereotypically feminine or women who love the color pink you're like that's like you like I love the color blue you know when you start to really personally attack other women in order to make yourself look better I do think that that's like the opposite like you said this opposite side of the spectrum where it begins to be you know for whatever reason you don't want to associate yourself with femininity or with other girls or as typical as a stereotypical and I put that in quotation marks because what what even is a stereotypical woman um (laughs) but like as a stereotypical woman for some reason whatever reason it is maybe it's like personal insecurities or a desire for the for some man's approval it doesn't really matter or maybe honestly it was the way you were raised the way the women in your life acted or raised you it doesn't it it doesn't really matter but like for whatever reason you don't want to affiliate yourself with that and you choose to intentionally put down other women for their choices which again kind of you know and then the flip side of that is when a woman's just doing her thing and other women are like, well, screw that. What it comes down to is, like, for what reason do we need to be putting other women down? Like, why would we ever need to? 
in what scenario would that ever benefit us? I don't know. And some scenario as harmless as, like, makeup or interests. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, that brings us to an important clarification. You know, you can like feminine things, Mm -hmm. but you're only a bad person when you put down girls for not liking feminine things. Mm -hmm. You can like more masculine-leading things, Mm -hmm. and you're only a pick-me girl when you put down other people for not liking masculine mm-hmm. things and maybe preferring feminine things. Yeah. It's not about your interests. Yep. It's about intent. you being a dick to other people. Yeah. I'm not sure if I can say yeah. It's about, yeah, it's about intent. It's mm-hmm. about, um, yeah, it just goes beyond that. Mm-hmm. I think, too, in a professional setting, because I know that this is like, you've talked with a lot of other, other IWL staff. I think, especially being in a position of leadership on campus, Um, and having to work with a lot of different people and a wide variety of students and staff and faculty and community members and all these people. I think as a woman, I've definitely always been kind of made aware that there will be instances, especially in the professional world, where I might be seen as less or not as professional, not as capable. And I think probably I did internalize that for a long time in the sense that I would walk into a room, especially if it was a room full of men, and I would sit back and I would listen because I didn't know how to assert myself in a way where I knew that they would listen to me and hear me and receive me and what I was saying and see me as an equal. And I feel like that was a lot of times, honestly, on me. Because a lot of times, like, the men that I was meeting with were my peers, right? And outside of the office or outside of the classroom, they were my friends. And so I started to have to check myself and think, okay, first of all, if I can't even voice my opinion around these men who I also consider to be my friends, then what kind of friends do I have? And then I had to check myself again, honestly, and think, am I holding myself back? Have I even tried? Have I, have I held myself accountable to make my voice heard? And then I started doing that, and I started speaking up more in meetings, and I started sending out emails that had a lot less exclamation points, which is a big one, and I'm a huge, huge, huge proponent of that for all women. And I started to just be a little bit more assertive when I was coming in as a representative of the IWL and I knew I was representing my staff and just holding myself to that level of professionalism and leadership. And I found it so much easier to start to see myself as a boss because I feel like I really did not see that for a long time. I think a lot of it was like feeling the need to be like humble and, you know, equal to and humility is important to have in a leadership position. However, Reminding myself, I'm in this position for a reason. I'm in this position because I'm fully capable of doing this job and doing it well. And so I think kind of that internalized fear a little bit or understanding that like I'm not really as, I'm not as qualified as these guys are. Like I don't really have as much to say and it's not as important, which is such bullshit because it's not true and it never was true. And once I was able to really like recognize that and hone that a little bit, I have felt like that that has opened up my position and like my world so much more. And it's given me so much more confidence to do things that I think that I could never do. Like apply to like these jobs that I'm like, I might never ever get this, but who cares? Maybe I should try. And I think that's been huge for me because working in a setting that's mostly women, it's really easy to to feel really empowered a lot. And then you have to go in, into environments where there are men and you're like, oh, I actually don't feel like I was prepared for this. I don't feel like I know what I'm doing. And reminding myself, this is how I feel in the office with all my amazing girl boss staff. This is, I'm going to take that and I'm going to bring that right into this boardroom meeting with the St. John Center. Mm-hmm. And I think that's like been really, really important for me. I don't know if that plays mm-hmm. into internalized misogyny at all, but I think that's definitely something that in the professional world, I've really had to work to overcome. It does. That actually is internalized misogyny. That's like stuff that you are putting yourself through, thoughts that you are giving yourself. Not intentionally. We never do it intentionally. It's just something that we are conditioned to believe because of the society we grew up in, how we grew up. And, you know, we all have different backgrounds. Like, 
guess I, I've never really struggled with that type of internalized misogyny, but like, I think I struggle a lot with internalized misogyny toward girls and sexuality. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? And I think that one is also pretty far-reaching. I feel like we all probably deal with that just because that's yeah. another way that we've been pinned down by culture over time, like mm-hmm. suppressing sexuality, doing slut-shaming. Mm-hmm. And you'll see this all the time from other girls. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, you hear girls at the bar and be like, oh, she's trying too hard or she's dressed so slutty or that Mm -hmm. top looks so slutty on you like derogatorily Mm -hmm. not in a nice way um and just putting other girls down for being free about their sexuality Mm -hmm. you know what i mean Mm -hmm. it's unnecessary and it's misogynistic when you're not like it becomes misogynistic when you specifically target a woman and Mm -hmm. her sexuality you know what i mean if Mm -hmm. you're not blanking a guy at all the guys that are doing the same things you're only looking at the women. It's misogynistic. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I know that's like, especially on a Catholic campus when we have such kind of an, you know, we have a more uptight sexual culture mm-hmm. here. You know, no condoms in the health center. <laughs> you know, we've got right. to fight tooth and nail to talk about sex in public, mm-hmm. stuff like that. Mm-hmm. I think that's something that's pretty pervasive, actually. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think an example of that that I've recently been keeping up with, I don't know if you've been keeping up with the Adam Levine drama. Oh my gosh, yeah. Yeah, and I think that's like a really prime example because for those of you who might not know, um, Adam Levine recently, it was revealed that he cheated on his wife, who's a Victoria's Secret model. Her name is Bahati Prinsloo, and she's pregnant with his third kid. And it was recently revealed that he was like inappropriately messaging with like this like Instagram influencer. I don't even know her name, but she like posted a video about how she had, like, some sort of, like, affair or some sort of relationship with Adam Levine. And the hate that this poor woman got in the comments is, like, literally insane. And I do not condone in any form cheating or any... Okay, like, you know what I mean. And probably did she knowingly get involved with a man who's, like, probably, like, one of the most famous men ever and everyone knows he has a wife? Yes, probably yes, she did. (laughs) However, the hate that is being thrown at this woman is, like, just miles and miles and miles above the hate being thrown at Adam Levine. Because everyone's focusing on this woman for being a homewrecker, when in reality, we're not talking about how Adam Levine literally wrecked his home, like wrecked his marriage, wrecked his children, and the relationship he had with his kids, and I'm sure that, that this is like not a, the first time that this has happened, this is just an age-old story, And but I think again, it just goes back to like this, you know, oh, she's a slut, she ruined this marriage, she's, she's a whore, she's this and she's that, and she's all these things, and she's awful, and she's gross, and oh, he's just a dude, he's just a dude whose wife was pregnant, and he was horny. So mm-hmm. it's like, come. it's just, again, also the way that we are conditioned to talk about sex, too. I think men are a lot more comfortable talking about sex openly than women are because it's a little bit shameful, a little bit personal, a little bit, a little bit, not, it's not very, like, mm, it's kind of, like, off-the-shoulder taboo. And I think that also goes back to when we think about relationships, then, like, Adam Levine being like, well, dude can get it, versus this girl who's a whore for even thinking about maybe getting involved with this older man who, probably older man with a lot of status. So I think, yeah, I think definitely the that internal... Like, why do I ever care what anyone else is wearing at the bar? And why does anyone care what I'm wearing? Doesn't affect you. Mm-hmm. Doesn't affect me. Doesn't affect anyone else. Shouldn't affect any man, that's for sure. Don't look at me. So that's a very interesting point you make. And I think what this kind of ends up going back to, because we can lament about, like, all these things that, like, women are expected to be and all these things. And at the end of the day, like, I, I feel like a big thing that it comes down to is self-accountability. Because it starts with... This, this change in mentality and this change in internalized misogyny, I guess, like, it starts with us as women, right? It starts with me, you know, holding myself accountable when I catch myself making an assumption, 
holding myself accountable when I, like, make a comment about a girl I saw at the bar this weekend and being like, okay, wait a second. First of all, that was not kind. Second of all, why did I think that? Do I know her? Do I know why she looks like that? Why she did that? Why she dressed like that? No. So why am I making these assumptions? What does that say about me and how I'm feeling and how I'm sitting with myself right now? And what caused me to even have that thought? And then what caused me to take it a step further to verbalize that thought to other women? And so I think it starts with self-accountability and once, and that's hard. Like that is very hard. I think like I always say I am going to be better about that, but that's hard. It's hard to catch yourself and to admit when maybe you did something kind of shitty. But it's like recognizing it, getting better at that, and then also encouraging your friends to do the same. Because especially on this campus, as it relates to this campus, we've only got each other, right? And Benny's support Benny's. That's huge. And I firmly believe that. I firmly believe that. And I think that if we can address that a little bit, this culture of that we all learned before we even ever became Benny's, before we ever even got to this campus, before we ever toured it and received our Benny's t-shirts and da-da-da-da, like, I think that that's, that has to be addressed, unpacked, and then, only then, will we really be able to have this, like, supportive environment that we continue to claim to have. Because I know we have it. I think that we just, we tend to get, it tends to get a little bit lost in translation sometimes. So, with all of this in mind, mm-hmm. this is obviously an issue that we have to work to fix, right? Mm-hmm. This is something that we have to address within ourselves, like you said, like we have to confront this within ourselves before we can confront it in anyone else, really. Mm-hmm. There's a Bible verse about it, like mm-hmm. a splinter in your friend's eye versus the plank in your own. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Also, don't throw stones from a glass house, mm-hmm. uh, especially, you know, when you partake in a lot of these things. Right. And this is not to say we can't hold women accountable, that mm-hmm. women are immune for their actions simply because they're women. Because, mm-hmm. like, that's, that's not the case at all. Yep. Part of girls supporting girls is holding other girlies accountable mm-hmm. for the shitty things that they do, especially to other like to other people. Like when they're propagating this misogynistic type stuff, you have to hold them accountable. Absolutely. Like it's not misogynistic to call someone out on their bullshit. Yep. It's what you should do. It's the right thing to do. You know what I mean? And ultimately it's gonna help them in the long run. Mm-hmm. Because um, I mentioned this in the talk with Annika too, how this isn't an us versus them scenario. It's not girls versus girls. Mm-hmm. It's kind of us versus the patriarchy. It's mm-hmm. us versus the culture that in that taught us to think this way, that taught us to feel these things and say these things to other women. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think that's a really good point. It's us versus this culture. And I think, I think, again, it kind of goes back to maybe the influences that you've had in your life. Like, I, like you were talking about your mom. I... I'm having a similar situation. My mom is, she's a girl boss. She has definitely always kind of raised me to recognize some of these like inequities but also insecurities in myself that cause me to say or do things that are like harmful and perpetuate, you know, these like harmful stereotypes. I think that like, agreed, like calling out your friends, doing it in a way that's not confrontational because that's not beneficial to anyone. That's not productive. But I also think like, it's like education, like educate yourself. I know that's hard for people. I think that people are like, where do I even start? I think a big thing is recognizing the resources we have on campus. And I'm not just plugging the IWL because we work for the IWL, but we have events here for free. Mm -hmm. We literally have so many people with literal degrees who can offer these resources and this information to you for free. Like you will never, ever have that opportunity again, probably in your life. So take advantage of it. Go to these events. Go, Go to IWL events. Go to gender studies events. Go to 
your take a gender studies class, speak with gender studies professors, speak with not even just gender studies profs. There are plenty of professors, especially women professors on this campus who have experienced it, have researched it, and have a lot to say about it. So utilize that. I think that's a huge, huge part of like educating yourself in order to be a better advocate for yourself and for others. I would really highly encourage people to do that. And come to IWL events because I think too, like being in tandem with young women, we have a different perspective on the world and on culture and on what femininity looks like now than maybe some of our professors or our mothers or our aunts or anybody in our life kind of do, right? We're all in this same generation. We're all living life at the same time. We're all doing college at the same time in this tiny little bubble. And only we really know, only we know what it's like to be a Benny right now, right now, today, in this year, on this day. Only, we are the only ones who know what it's like to be a Benny right now. And so I think leaning on one another and leaning into that and in encouraging yourself and the people around you to lean into that too. I think that's really, really important. Period. Thank you. Yeah, of course. Of course. An important thing that we talked about that I'd like to touch on a bit more is that this isn't an us versus them scenario. Girls support girls here. And part of that is calling out toxic culture when we see it, especially when we're the ones perpetrating it. We talked about the first step to this, addressing toxicity within yourself first. Like I said, internalized misogyny is sneaky. It's not usually blatant. So we kind of have to train ourselves to recognize it. When we find ourselves criticizing women, it's important to step back and think about both why we're criticizing them and how we're criticizing them. From there, you can use a loose rule of thumb. Emphasis on the loose. I am not a professional expert on the topic. So, if your criticisms have anything to do with her gender or how she performs it, it's probably misogynistic. If your criticisms aren't about her gender or how she performs it, but you use her gender to reinforce your criticisms, it's probably misogynistic. The same thing applies to how we view ourselves. Where do these thoughts come from? Is it something that we've learned since childhood, like at home or at school? Does it stem from our current environment or maybe the media that we consume? If applicable, think of how your criticisms might be double standards. Do you scrutinize men for liking stereotypically masculine things like football, like you scrutinize other women for liking things like shopping and makeup? Once you've thought this through yourself, talk with your friends about it. Chances are they can relate to a lot of what you're saying. Just like my conversations with my coworkers, you'll probably have a lot of overlapping experiences with how internalized misogyny manifests around us. Having these talks is a great way to establish understanding and empathy for one another, and it really helps when you're addressing internalized misogyny in the future. When you're having these conversations, keep in mind that we're on the same team here. The only adversary we face is the larger issue of an anti-feminine sentiment in society. That's it for my closing remarks. Thank you so much for listening, and check back soon for our next episode.